Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. So lots of our listeners are parents or are folks who would like to someday become a parent. Other listeners on here, you might have young siblings or end up dating someone else who has children. And lots of people cohabitate with families or even work in childcare or babysitting at some point. Either way, you probably interact with small humans somehow in your life at some time. Today, we are sitting down with Morea Malat, who is a consultant in parenting, a postpartum doula, a lactation counselor, and a sleep educator. Morea is a co-host of the Sex and Feminist Parenting Podcast with Madison Young. It's called Wash Your Mouth Out Podcast. Today, we'd like to talk to Morea about parenting that comes from a consent-aware and sex-positive place. Check out her website, SavvyParentingSupport.com, and contact Morea at Morea at SavvyParentingSupport.com or on Instagram, Morea Malat. You spell her name M-O-O-R-E-A-M-A-L-A-T-T. Hi! Hi! I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming here. Um, so we're going to have so much delightful things to cram in here oh hi john you're here too hi john <laughs> hey hey uh so let's just dive right in uh maria we want to give you plenty of time to talk john you don't have any kids but you were a child <laughs> you yes, said maybe you true. might want to have one someday uh, um yeah boyfriends or raised... talked about it in, in an abstract way and yeah it's mm-hmm. definitely something that i think that one day once i work past all my own shit that i'd definitely love to try probably that's the goal so Maria your background is unique and varied and based on your own experiences struggling with sleep deprivation Um, so when did you decide to work with children and their parents I actually have been working with babies and parents pretty much since I was a baby babies and um, and and mamas really were kind of my obsession as a young person I started doing um, babysitting and nanny work really, really young, like maybe nine years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I was also really obsessed with um, just the intricacies of baby life. And I was, um, I loved the idea of breastfeeding, um, even as a, a young child. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went towards psychology and some biology in my background. Mm-hmm. And 
there was definitely a lot of preschool teaching and I, I directed um, two different preschools and I owned one before I was even a parent. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've been working with families for a very long time. And I always knew that I'd be working with families in some area. And I thought originally that I'd wind up just being a marriage and family counselor at some point. And then once I um, once I was a postpartum doula and was realizing that I was doing this work in postpartum in this very vulnerable time when um, really, you know, so much about the baby, but forget the baby. There's this these new parents or a new parent um, mm-hmm. who is uh, coming across a whole new identity. It's kind of a magical and terrifying time. <laughs> and I started doing that a little while before I became a parent. And I had to stop when I had the terrible, horrible pregnancy from hell. And after the terrible, horrible pregnancy from hell, oh, wow. I had a child who just didn't sleep (laughs) and I thought I knew everything about sleep because I had been working overnights with all all kinds of families twins triplets I had read every sleep book I had done every kind of quote-unquote sleep training even the kinds that I felt really uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. and you know I would just do whatever the parents told me to do and and get it done and so I just really thought I knew everything. And then suddenly I was uh, I was breastfeeding this baby who was up every hour forever. John, you know what it's like to go days without sleep. But like, what if you yeah. had what if you had no choice as to when that happened? Can you imagine being oh, woken up ev- every awful. hour, every other that hour? And so then, stressful. And then imagine your nipple is being sucked on and you feel like that. I mean, it's time. different for everyone, but th- there's chafing that mm-hmm. happens and oh, chapping. All right. Okay. So yeah, that's really happened. Painful. So it actually turns out um, that I went down a a road trip of uh, information and studying sleep because I still wanted to practice, you know, what I called at the time, quote unquote, attachment parenting, mm-hmm. and I actually wanted to sleep yep. with my baby and I wanted to keep breastfeeding, mm-hmm. but. It was definitely causing this like wake to feed, wake to feed constant thing. And I thought, how can I do both of these things? How can I like take care of myself, mm-hmm. also have a life, also be able to work, you know, because which you can't really do if you're that sleep deprived. Um, so it was a while before I felt like I had enough information about sleep and development so that I could create sort of my own method and use it to help myself mm-hmm. and my kid. And then kind of gradually um, was able to help friends and then Mm -hmm. teach workshops. And Mm -hmm. it has sort of spread uh, many ways since then. But, you know, the truth about that intense sleep deprivation of constantly having your sleep cycle interrupted, Mm -hmm. uh, because our sleep cycles are anywhere from like two to four hours. And oftentimes babies are for daytime, 30 minutes or nighttime, an hour. Wow. So So by we, you mean adults? By we, uh, yeah, I mean adults. So if, you know, so people will say, oh, when you sleep with your baby, you're, you know, you become in sync. Well, many things do become in sync, Mm -hmm. but the sleep cycle does not. And so it feels like 
you know, you're just constantly being interrupted and not getting a full sleep cycle when things are that intense with the wake ups. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that in rats and in many other animals that they've studied, that kind of interruption of sleep cycle will kill the animal. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that for us, there's something protective happening, especially in breastfeeding hormones. That is making it so that we we might go a little nuts, but usually power through. We can power through. <laughs> oh God! See, all of this is just bringing up for me again. Like you should never, ever, ever force anybody to be pregnant or give birth yeah. or raise a child. Yes, it's like the ultimate punishment if you don't want to do it. Yes, like potentially. Oh God. Okay, so I'm sure there's so many people just dying to know all your sleep secrets, but we're not going to be able to get to all those today. We want to talk about consent things uh, too, which is like built in to dealing with sleep. Yes. Probably. Because as soon as I started working with sleep, I was working with toddlers who were still having sleep problems. Mm. Once we get to toddlers, then we get to the work that I do with gentle discipline. Once we start talking about gentle discipline, we're talking about boundaries. And boundaries start even way before mm-hmm. all that. So what are some what are some ways that we confuse the shit out of our children in blurring boundaries? For example, I've given I've given the example before of like being at the mall or being in a public place and seeing just like lines of kids and their parents waiting to pose for a photo you know like with the Easter Bunny or Santa and they're crying and they're hungry and they're fighting and it's like why are you making them do this and then you're gonna have them sit on some guy's lap that feels weird and he smells weird and you can feel his bony knees under your butt I remember this <laughs> <laughs> clearly clearly you know um, or like go hug grandma it doesn't matter if she's gonna like give you a drooly kiss all over your face go give her a kiss yeah like, these are some things coming up for me can you think of some other ones well You know, it actually starts so much earlier than this, because if we think about it, um, there's so much when our kids are not quite verbal that we just do to them Mm. uh, without oftentimes without giving any warning. Mm. So it's like, even though there might not be the amount of communication happening where they could actually give consent, we're also just not giving warning, which mm-hmm. is sort of like a precursor. Hey, honey, I got to wipe your nose. I'm yeah. sorry it's chapped and it exactly. hurts. Exactly. I'm going to wipe your nose and um, I'm. we're going to change your diaper now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to open up the diaper. Okay. This wipe is going to be a little bit cold. Mm-hmm. And then if you keep saying it the same way mm-hmm. over time and giving them this preparation for what's going to happen... You give them, even non-verbally, you give them the space to kind of non-verbally show you if they're not ready or they are not wanting that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And then it's important to kind of balance the the fact that there are things you will have to do that they won't want you to do mm-hmm. uh, with some possibility that if they're giving you feedback that it's not right for right now, you might take that and change what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another big example is definitely the potty stuff. Um, which, and, and also sort of diaper changing leading into potty, which is, uh, people will say, I need your help with potty because I do sleep and gentle discipline and potty learning. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, is my child ready for potty? And I have a very different non-Western theory about potty training, but I'll say, well, what's going on? And they'll say, well, I have to tackle him. And then I have to hold him down. Oh, God. And then I have to change his diaper because he will not let me change the diaper. And I can't let him just like sit in all of that. Yeah. And this is very common, by the way. Yeah, very common. Very, very common. So at a certain point, they want agency. And it's your, you know, kids want agency. So if you're going to 
um, tackle me and hold me down, I'm going to start not liking that and I'm going to run away more. Mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, that's when I start going, okay, yes, let's go into potty learning because there's a whole lot more agency involved there. Mm-hmm. There's a, a method of Montessori um, potty learning, which is really getting them involved. Like stand here and lift your legs so I can wipe your mm. um, your tush and can you hand me a wipe? and Your butt. Yeah. Your, yeah. So about naming oh. body parts, would you say tush or would you say butt? I think families come up with different okay, things you have that to they want to the do. Yeah, in my okay. family, we say tush, but we also say butt. Okay. We also say rear. <laughs> okay. Um, what about so the front end? Would mix. you say penis or vulva? What? Would you say penis or vulva for the front end? We say I, penis and vulva. Nice. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. I'm big on labeling. I feel like that's I mean, part the, of the Even the word, body. if you think about it, the word butt is not really, you know, um, <laughs> the official... <laughs> buttocks buttocks yes yeah um john is anything coming up for you right now can you think of any things that you had to follow through with that you didn't like um it's okay i think that there was one instance where my dad had really good intentions but zero um really thoughts around my own like autonomy or feelings about the situation um it was funny one time i i think i'd literally i was like 10 years old and i'd been playing with myself a lot Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I was getting a little bit of inflammation just because like no one had told me like, oh, if you just keep touching yourself, then eventually after like six hours of doing that, it'll be a little inflamed. <laughs> oh, like skin um, friction where you just pulling yeah. on your wiener. <laughs> yep. Pulling on exactly. your wiener. Pulling on your yeah. penis. <laughs> totally like common normal behavior on amongst young boys. And I did it a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm and laughing my at myself because like, I'm reverting anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so I went up to my dad and I was like, well, like, you know, my, my penis kind of hurts and he was like, it hurts. And he looked like really concerned and he was like, well, can you, can you show me what's wrong? And I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I want (laughs) to, like, I wasn't yet comfortable. Like if it had been my mom or something, I probably would have been like, okay, well, here's what's wrong and this hurts. But like, I don't know with my dad, I was less comfortable at the time. Um, and he like insisted and got really angry and said that I had to show him so he could see if we needed to go to the doctor or something and he looked at it and then said if it didn't get better in a day that like we'd go to the doctor and it got better in a day but um mm-hmm. he was just like he he re kind of taught me how to properly wash and everything I had been but like he, I didn't mm-hmm. want to tell him that I'd been like you know mm-hmm. um masturbating just kind of like yeah trying to trying to figure out how to masturbate exactly so i was kind of like frustrated by that at the time looking back i'm like i mean i i'm still glad he did it i just wish there'd been more conversation like instead Mm -hmm. of like a i need to see it right now so i can know whether or not to bring you to the doctor is kind of like a shocking to like a little kid you're just like oh my god what did i do (laughs) what about giving you Uh, that explanation but without the emotion of anger you know what about like like, a little bit more discussion around Mm -hmm. like Hey, I know this might be uncomfortable for you, but it's important for me to to visually assess this so I can tell whether or not I can help you um, at, with mm-hmm. by bringing you to the doctor or not. Would have been better than like, no, you're gonna show me right now and come back mm-hmm. here and blah blah blah. And I was just like, mm. yeah. So that was definitely one of my more memorable uh, memories mm-hmm. from from my childhood mm-hmm. of like just autonomy not always being totally respected, mm-hmm. but still with good intentions. Mm-hmm. So. There's another option for how to 
deal as a parent with that sort of scenario where it kind of feels like a medical mm-hmm. issue or a hygiene issue mm-hmm. and um, you know the the child doesn't want to involve you or doesn't want to show you um, and in many of these scenarios this um, of consent the same thing can work when you can't allow a child to completely control everything mm-hmm. where you give yeah. them a choice between one thing or the other. Yes. So it's it would be, you know, ideally, oh, you don't want to show me? Okay, well, you can either show me and then we can decide about the doctor or we can just definitely go to the doctor tomorrow mm. and you can show the doctor. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. have to show me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some kind of a choice. Mm-hmm. My poor seven-year-old, I told her, I was like, okay, honey, time to get a checkup. You know, that's just what we do. It'll be fine, easy visit we get there and they're like actually there was a lapse in one of her two of her vaccinations so we need to do those do you want to reschedule or whatever and I was like oh god and before I actually signed the consent I looked at her in front of the nurse and I kind of felt bad for the nurse because she's waiting on me but I was like honey I know I told you it'd be an easy visit but we actually I was wrong and we have to get a couple of shots today it is gonna hurt I'm really sorry everyone has to do this mommy had to do this daddy had to do this you know And she was upset, but I felt like that was the best way I could have presented it. And she got to choose, do you want to do it at the beginning of the visit or the end? Of course, she said the end because kids like to delay things, but that actually worked out (laughs) better anyway, because then you just leave. So I felt that was that was uh, what came up for me. I try. I actually personally tried to wait on as many vaccinations as possible mm-hmm. until I could get consent. Like these are for like the later on vaccinations, like until I could actually get consent from a child who was able to actually understand all of this. Mm-hmm. So, OK, let's make an appointment. You're going to have some preparation beforehand. So if you can do that, awesome. But I love what you did where you just kind of said, you know, this is what we got to do. And here are some choices. Yeah. And yes, yeah. it sucks. And yes, I feel terrible. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then you do the thing where you're like, OK, you were so big. I'll get you a little treat, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Childhood sucks sometimes. I'm sorry. Frozen yogurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's how I feel like I am with like my dogs when I have to bring them for like really important procedures or like even <laughs> when it's something more mundane. Like, have you ever stepped on like a dog's paw and you feel like the worst because you can't communicate yes. to them that it wasn't on purpose and then you give them a treat and you're just like, I didn't mean to hurt you. I just want the best yes. for you. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I think I think you kind of can communicate that, though, to some degree, even if they don't. Yeah. understand. It's like, ouch. Yeah, and then not a furthering of aggression <laughs> but yeah. you know dogs and children can definitely um even like without the verbal can understand uh just psychically i believe you know how you're feeling about something yeah um but i also wanted yeah. to say you know if if it comes up in the situation that l was in where like oh gosh i didn't prepare you for this and we still need to do it anyway with children yeah. if we if we're really concerned about consent and preparation We can, after the fact, talk about, hey, that was not the way that I really wished it would be done. That's not the way that it should be done. This is a different circumstance. You shouldn't usually be asked to suddenly have to do something like that. So at least they understand ongoing that they, you know, this is a special circumstance, but we should have these kind of choices. I did that before bedtime. I did. I'm glad you said that. I feel right about that now because I wanted to reflect on the day. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, honey, just, you know, one more time. I won't bring it up, but I'm sorry about what happened earlier. I'm sorry I was wrong. You know, (laughs) I'll try to investigate your appointments more thoroughly before I take you to them. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, these are all great examples. We'll come back and do some listener questions. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship or exploring kink? 
sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Racks to Riches is a new company for adult entertainers dedicated to empowering, educating, and connecting our industry through sales training. This fall, Racks to Riches is launching a new native app designed by and for sex workers. Racks, R-A-X-X, is an app with unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars. Racks is designed to help you grow your adult business at the touch of a button. Racks is launching in the Apple Store on October 1st, 2019. And for more information on Racks and more tools, courses, and sales training content for adult entertainers, visit racks2riches.com. That's R-A-C-K-S to riches.com and just for strange bedfellows listeners use discount code sbp at checkout for 10 percent off of any of our educational products welcome back everybody to strange bedfellows podcast we have on morea malat follow her on instagram maria i didn't ask your pronouns what are your pronouns my pronouns are she and her thank you okay. for asking thank you okay just making sure as soon as i was introducing i'm like oh no i broke a rule i broke one of my own rules um morea malat uh instagram m-o-o-r-e-a-m-a-l-a-t-t we're gonna take some listeners from some very tired and confused parents some listener questions all right so we got a question from a listener My son and I have been talking about consent since he could speak, but recently we have moved in with my partner and his two boys. My five-year-old son is obsessing over seeing the seven- and nine-year-old boys naked. I never made nudity a taboo thing in our one-parent household, but the new children are justifiably, I feel, deeply uncomfortable with my son's curiosity. They scold him for looking at them, but I'm not sure how else I can talk to him about respecting boundaries without things sounding shameful. We keep talking to him about a person's right to privacy and autonomy, but he can't seem to understand why seeing them when they aren't wearing a shirt is acceptable, while seeing them without their underwear on isn't permissible. It's all a mess. So that's our listener question. Mm -hmm. Maria, dive right in. You're nodding. Yeah, I love this. Um, It's really easy to feel like this kind of parenting is just really hard. Like there's this this hard line where two things don't meet. And uh, really, in some circumstances of parenting, it's that we feel like we need to do more than we actually do. So mm. in this in this situation, the parent is feeling like she has to do it all or he has to do it all or they have to do it all, right? Mm-hmm. So it's I have to figure this out and make this situation not be uncomfortable and I have to prevent the one child from doing this. And instead, I would like to offer the idea that when we're thinking about consent and privacy and all of that, it's really about what the individual likes or doesn't like. And so instead of an overarching, you know, oh, now we never go into rooms when people are changing and we never do this and we never do that, um, that starts to be really shameful and starts to be very puritanical. You can have it be all about the individuals. Okay, your brother 
doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. Your brothers don't like for you to come in and say anything while they're changing or stare at them while they're changing. And you can make sure that you have a conversation with everybody all together and teach the older children how to say what they need, how to say how they feel and how to set their own boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let that be really a lesson for the older children in um, in trying to make sure that their consent is protected, that their needs are being met, and letting the younger child know that we need to check in individually with different people about what their needs are around mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. That This is a, a challenging situation coming from a nudist household, which is totally my household, <laughs> um, and going to, you know, a different way of being. Mm-hmm. So... I can see where it feels like, oh, I really have to take control of all this. But really, it's just about giving everybody the skills to communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. They're five, so things are going to change over time and they're not necessarily like this is going to be ongoing conversations that change over time. It was my daughter and I living together after. Um, so she she lives with her father at his house and then my house and now my partner. But the first I would say three years, two or three years after the divorce, it was myself and daughter. And then B moved in at some point. And so she was four at the time. And I remember she's toddling around and B wants to go change. Now she doesn't mind seeing a penis. She's seen her dad's penis. She's seen the dog's penis, but it's a difference. I didn't necessarily want her to see my boyfriend's penis and he didn't either. So it was, hey, honey, B's changing in there. Can we give him some privacy now that she's seven in the last year? I've noticed that she is more particular about, you know, like, oh, don't don't let B come in the bathroom. I need to get in my jammies or whatever. So things change, you know, and roles change and dynamics and understanding. And also that five year old is not going to have the Mm self-control. Right. So you're trying to teach it. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm saying we're just going to check in with individuals and give those other individuals the skills to try and take care of themselves and set their own boundaries is that we can't, we won't always be there mm-hmm. to prevent the younger child from gawking because they don't have the self control. Mm-hmm. And so, we can't have perfect parenting here. Mm-mm. It's not going to be possible. And when we say self-control, it's like a big part to do with brain development. Yes. Yeah. They bar- like children barely have awareness at the age of five. Yes. They don't have planning and decision making the same way than an adult does either. Uh, ooh, John, can you read the next one? I just want to hear you sure. say poop a bunch. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Question from our listeners. Potty training, exclamation mark. My 20-month-old just poops in her sleep and doesn't wake up. Not sure how to get her to start telling us when she needs to go, given that she is a sleep pooper who doesn't wake up and is happy sleeping in her poop. (laughs) I think this parent was tired because there was also like two more sentences explaining the situation, saying sleep and poop like three more times each. I was like, I get it. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Edited. (laughs) Uh, I'll dive in. I I just have a question real quick. So my kid didn't really get out of diapers until closer to four. Um, And every kid's different. Is it possible that this kid's not ready to be in underwear while they sleep? Well, nighttime potty and daytime potty are very different animals. Okay. Some some children are potty 
uh, proficient very early, but still have a lot of trouble at night. Mm. Um, And that has to do with the fact that there are a lot of factors in nighttime potty has to do with how many how much fluids were had throughout the day and then closer to the evening, um, how the body processes and holds all of that from individual to individual. There's a genetic component Hmm. of um, bedwetting. Uh, so, so bedwetter. So if you had bedwetter parents, you're very likely to be a bedwetter. I was a bedwetter. I think my dad was too. Yeah. So, so there's this genetic component, right? So it's actually, you can't really think about it in terms of, um, psychological development. So the daytime, you might think about that. And then the nighttime is really biological stuff. Hmm. And so I look at those a little bit differently. And so, yes, the answer is I actually don't believe in the same kind of readiness method that's very Western. That's like, you know, we're going to psychologically, this is from Freud, we're going to psychologically hurt our children if we talk to them about their poop early. Oh, God. Um, he and said that's that? that's actually where the readiness method comes from. It's from from Freud. What is the readiness method? The readiness method is is the very American um, kind of run of the mill potty method that you think of, which is, you know, um, oh, don't don't try and teach them potty. Wait until they want to do it on their own and can oh. already kind of do most of it on their own. Okay. Um, so it's a puritanical plus very Freudian, like let's not talk too early about anything having to do with their butt. Oh, yeah, and gotcha. it all come. People don't know that that that's sort of the history. I could go on forever about. So the you're saying that potty. it's more proactive to address the issue in an again, like non-stigmatized way, like address pottying, kind of like eating where you're explaining yes. and offering it. 100%. Okay. That's exactly what I say is yes. that it's it's a bodily function and it's hygiene. I actually will say like it's like washing hands mm. or taking a bath. Mm. It's like these are the things that we do to take care of our hygiene. We don't wait until somebody is, quote, psychologically ready for that. We just say this is part of our culture, part of our society, part of what keeps us healthy. Mm-hmm. And then we teach that skill and model that skill. I knew um, I, there was a, a parent couple that lived nearby when we had small children. I think our kids were each like a year and a half and their year and a half year old, they would hold him over the potty and go Yeah, and elimination communication. Yeah, and he was peeing, oh God, well before my child was and and that was fine. I was jealous. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a very, um, that's a very much the perspective that I take, which is a cross-cultural perspective. Mm -hmm. 80% of the world is done with potty learning by 18 months. Whoa. So whereas now uh, we have about 60% not done until four. Whoa. Yep. That's Hmm. where I was. John, do you remember? Do you know when you were done with diapers? Uh, I do not. I'd probably have to ask my parents. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. I'm going to ask my mom. I think I was a late pottier. Uh, Wow. This is fucking fascinating. Okay. So what else would you address to this person? So for this, for this family, um, I'm going to say the first thing is, is that we actually don't poop in our sleep. So that's not what's going on here. Wow. Yeah. We, we might, there's a slight possibility that we might kind of poop in like a light REM stage before, um, before that break in our sleep cycles where we kind of are, um, not aware that we're awake. Mm. Um, and sometimes we do pee in REM 
we're sort of like in that dream state right before waking up because mm-hmm. we're sort of unsure <laughs> what realm we're in. Mm-hmm. We, I have, we actually feel like we're sitting on the toilet. Yes, that's me. how I usually wet the bed. I was like, oh, I'm dreaming I'm sitting on the potty exactly. and now it's time to so release. what's happening is Wait, you're in this like end of REM, light REM stage where you're about to wake up because you need to pee and you're kind of in and out of this. Oh. With poo, we don't really see that as much. And uh, and so most likely what's happening here is it's very early in the morning. The child has had a lot of good quality sleep before that. And then once that is done, we sort of flitter in and out of awake and a light REM stage. And the poop is probably happening when the child is awake. So what would you suggest to... So the suggestion is for a short period of time, bring back the baby monitor, turn it on high... Mm. and see if you can hear a lot of rustling noises in the early morning. Mm. And you can help the child learn to, just by doing it, by helping them wake up and get to the potty, mm-hmm. you can help them learn um, that they need to wake up. You can also talk to them about that dream uh, situation. If they're old enough to comprehend this, you can say, you know, in the in the early morning, you might be kind of in and out of sleep. You might feel like you're dreaming that you're pooping. If you feel like you're dreaming that you're peeing or pooping, um, definitely tell yourself, wake up. I'm not really on the toilet. <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of success with just that part, with That's just like, talking to children about what's going on. With a kid around the age of almost two. Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. We have to move on. Oh my gosh. Uh, This is a consent question. I kiss my three and a half year old and my one year old often without asking them first. The baby can't consent verbally, which makes me feel bad. I know that the baby needs to soak in a lot of love and affection at this stage of life. But with my older kid, I feel like I should ask. I do sometimes, but I find it painfully conflicting. Do I feel entitled to their bodies because I grew them? Ugh. Mm. John, what do you think? I want to hear from you. Um, on this one, so that was the, I kissed my Mm -hmm. 3.5-year-old. Um, I don't really know, because I feel like at that stage, if they can't consent verbally, then all you can do is your best, which is non-verbal, um, Mm -hmm. like gestures and communication and tone of voice. Can Um, I, can I suggest something? Because I'm glad you say you don't know. Yeah. Um, do you think that such a thing as implied consent between small children and parents exists? Maria is um, rolling her eyes a little bit. I don't know. I don't think that it exists unless it's established. Like like she was mentioning earlier where like if you tell them like, oh, I'm going to wipe your nose now. I'm going to do this to you. It may not be full consent, but it's definitely communication, which okay. can pave the road, I think, for for consent maybe when they hear those words almost in a pavlovian way they'll begin to think oh i at least i know what's going to happen next and that may be the best you can do in some circumstances when they're nonverbal. moray what do you think i guess i i'm gonna say that it would be feel too dangerous to me to say that i believe in implied consent at all okay but um but what i will say instead is that I think with very, maybe not three and a half, but with very young children, um, definitely before then, and sometimes later than then, I would not call it implied consent. I would call it a rhythm. Like we have a rhythm together. We mm. kind of know, we kind of, there's a, there's a way that we move together um, as a dyad or as a family, and that that has become something that's kind of predictable. And when it's kind of predictable, theoretically we could change our mind and squawk to stop it 
Mm. Right. So if like things start feeling like I'm going to get a hug or I'm going to get a kiss from my parent, uh, I then theoretically, because I can kind of feel that coming, I could possibly stop that. But I don't think it's I just think implied consent is a real dangerous. Um, I agree. I wanted to pose the question um, just to kind of just to kind of push it a little bit. Um, I feel like as someone who birthed the child that I'm now raising and watching the dynamics and the consent change, I feel like I there's implied consent because from the very beginning, our well, our dynamic has been changing. It's like she when she was very small if she kicked me in the vagina in the tub or in the vulva it's not a big deal it's a baby's foot you know if she rubs her boogers on me whatever as we get older there's less of a reason for some things to be happening so would I use the saliva from my mouth to wipe the food on her face (laughs) in five years perhaps not she probably won't like that I can barely get away with it now when she was one absolutely you know um So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's an idea, but not necessarily a rule. It's, we're, yeah. we're building ideas here. This kind of brings me to the the biggest thing that comes up in my practice, which mm-hmm. is um, when you when you especially when you birth a baby, but when you have a baby from the from you know the very early months, and you are attached to that child. Um, there's this dyad happening where it's almost like you're one person for a while yeah for a while Mm -hmm. and and so it can sort of feel like well I get to do what what I want to do to you because you're doing what you want to me and there and there's this like communication that's Mm -hmm. happening that's very intimate and and doesn't really have a lot of consent in it right because if you have a tiny baby and let's say you've decided to breastfeed and that baby wants to is growing and needs to eat and wants to suddenly nurse every hour wants to cluster feed more than that maybe and you don't really feel like it you kind of feel like oh i can't like say no <laughs> um because they're so dependent there there's so much dependency there that it's almost like they've taken our consent and we've taken their consent mm-hmm. away a little bit it does feel like that mm-hmm. but then what comes up in my practice is that we feel all of that from the beginning and then the parents don't know at what point it changes from that into, oh, I actually get to set some boundaries on my mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. So I have families who are who have toddlers who are 18 months, two years, who are still um, grabbing at the boobie mm-hmm. all night, right? And pulling it into the mouth or even nursing in public and then twisting the other nipple oh, I hate with their that. fingers. That, yeah. And the parents will say, I don't feel like I can do anything. I don't know what to do. Oh, I say, and no, s- thank you. No, right, thank but you. for a lot of people, they, they're they still feeling that we are a dyad and my child needs me and I'm just here as a vessel for you. Right. And so there, you know, no one tells you at what point that's supposed to change because mm-hmm. there really isn't a supposed to. But really, once you can communicate with an individual child and they can understand things like boundaries, then we need to start having some, or at least we get to start having some boundaries mm-hmm. if we want them Mm -hmm. and you know what it's really common to do to play with each other's bodies in ways that are context appropriate my kid still loves a a game she calls boobies in the face she goes mommy 
do boobies in the face, which is funny because this is like the same thing I could do to my customers. And sure. I do my child. Yes. But she likes the feel of my big fake soft boobs on her face. And I go boobies in your face. And she goes, ah, we don't do that in public. <laughs> Of course not. Yes. <laughs> we don't do that in public, but she's seven. We do it at home. I remember when I was 10, I, my mom, I stood to see how tall I was and her breast was on top of my head and it was, ha mommy's boobs on my head. So there's just like, we interact with each other's bodies all the time, but it, there's so many variables on context and how we age. Yeah. I think. I think to finish up the question, um, you know, that, that new baby does need, like we actually know they need all of that affection. So we can feel good about just giving it wherever we intuit is is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the older child, you know, just not thinking about like perfectly having the exact amount of consent all of the time, but just kind of working on the idea, trying to remember to give preparation more, trying to remember to ask for consent more. Mm-hmm. It's not... Uh, it's not about being perfect. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, let's introduce that concept more and more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll kiss my kid and she'll say, oh, mommy, your breath stinks. I don't want you to kiss me. I'm like, okay, sorry. And then I don't. And then five minutes later, she's like, mommy, I want a hug. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking about consent all the time. And I still do. I still lean in and do things to my kids that later I go, okay, I really should have asked for that. There's just so much love, you know, and you feel it. You feel like giving it, but then if you take that and take a couple steps back and think about it being a different person, and if I were that person, I don't want anyone to be thinking, oh, it's just because there was so much love. I don't Mm -hmm. want your love Mm -hmm. necessarily at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's important to be thinking about those things. But at three and a half, I think we're still a product of our society. We're still a product of our upbringing. We're not going to be able to do this perfectly. So just keep, you know, spending some time thinking about where are the instances where you can ask first. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we have one more question. And gosh, again, I I knew we weren't going to be able to cram everything in. But John, can you read this one and we can give maybe three minutes to it? Sure. So we got a question that says... I'm the parent of a little one. They are less than one years old. What are some good approaches to discussing topics about gender and identity versus sex organs, what non-binary means, with clarity and sincerity? Thank you. Uh, don't be in a rush. I want to I give some thought to this and definitely want to hear from Maria because you know more than I do. But what I have noticed in my kid is give them information without any bias, you know, like oh, if you have a penis, you're probably a male, but not all men have penises. You know, I've said stuff like that. Um, We went to the library the other day uh, and they asked on the forum to fill out your uh, gender preference. And it said male, female, non-binary. And I said, oh, look, kiddo, this is what I was talking about. Some people are like, I'm a man, I'm a woman, or I just don't really, my gender's not important to me. Um, she asked me yesterday, she said, why do you have she and they pins? What does that mean? I said, well, I look like a lady, so people can call me she, but I don't always feel like a lady, so they is, is good also. And my kid says, I think sometimes I feel like a boy. And I said, do you? And then she walked away, you know? So like, it's an unfolding process of questions. And a one-year-old, you have plenty of time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would say that that might even be a bit early in terms of logical comprehension of even basic subject matter. Um, but I definitely think it's good that you're thinking about it now because um, a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maria, what do you think? So at this age, again, 
you know, there's not that much you're going to be teaching in this didactic kind of way. But what you can do is start with your own behavior because they just model everything from a very young age after us. So that might mean making sure to keep ourselves in check about not assuming things. And uh, a good one to practice with where people won't be offended if you're doing this all wrong um, is to think about dolls and stuffed animals and animals in your lives. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking with a child and start using they, them pronouns, because you, the animal or the stuffed animal hasn't told you, right? Mm -hmm. They can't talk. So, um, so we can practice with, with this, you know, entity Mm -hmm. that maybe can't communicate with us. And we're not going to assume anything. Mm -hmm. So we can start using some they, them pronouns, you know, Mm -hmm. again, not perfectly all of the time, but try to so that that modeling is there. And so that the child gets used to hearing that. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, um, you know, I've definitely been as a queer person, I've been radicalized by my community more and more and more and more every day. And also, I have a child um, who I think my, my younger child, if they had really enough language and were old enough to really be able to figure out non-binary, mm-hmm. um, even though it's been introduced, I think that that might be something that they would choose. And so I've definitely had to, um, I feel more and more strongly that I need to be using they, them pronouns when mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so just modeling that kind of thing um, mm-hmm. with stuffed animals, with dolls. Watch then, nature shows, read nature books, because a lot of sexuality oh, yeah. in nature is also such a broad spectrum. Oh, definitely. You know, in terms of sex. I mean, animals don't have gender. They have sex, but the sexes will still interact in different ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's and, a there's and, a book. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, another thing is just to keep modeling asking adults too so that the child gets to see you ask people what their pronouns are Mm -hmm. so at this young age you know that's really all we do is Mm -hmm. modeling yeah I use they a lot for um her stuffies and her dinos and stuff because then what what you'll what you'll notice is the child will pick the gender that they choose and sometimes the kid and mine has done this will say oh well they're not a boy or a girl I'm like oh okay and then don't make a big deal about it yeah you know (laughs) uh so let's take one more break. Oh, you know what? Before we do, there's a book called What Makes a Baby by Corey Silverberg oh, yeah. and Fiona Smith. Um, I don't think it's perfect. I think it's uh, the best book I've seen. You're nodding. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. It's you not know, perfect. Talk- it's not perfect, but I think it was an interesting way to suggest um, and to show how can or not suggest an interesting way to teach conception and pregnancy and birth from a distanced view of gender. Yeah. If that yeah, it's definitely good. the best out there. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's take a break. If you listen to this show, you know how absorbent and sensitive vaginas can be. A wellness movement is on the rise. We're eating organic. Our skincare is organic. We're even using organic tampons. But what about our underwear? Non-organic underwear can lead to infections and irritation from absorbing harsh chemicals. That's why Cherie Intimates are made with organic Sapima cotton and certified organic dyes. ShopSheree.com offers products ethically made right here in the U.S. in Brooklyn. With each purchase, 
Cherie donates feminine hygiene products to women's shelters in the USA. So self-care for you can provide basic care for those in need. Visit shopcherie, S-H-O-P-C-H-E-R-R-I dot com and shopcherie on Instagram. Customers can use the code BEDFELLOWS to get 20% off at checkout. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We are your favorite self-help and politics podcast uh today we're going to talk about an article that elle found (laughs) i'm always finding articles so there's one here from well it was a research study published at the where did it go all right here we go so here's this article after wick offered better food and after WIC offered better food options, maternal and infant health improved. Fruits and veggies helped lower some birth complications for moms and babies, study finds. So ignore, ignore the gendered language there. But uh, so pregnant people need to have fresh fruits and vegetables, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> this study is the first to analyze the health effects of the changes to the U.S. Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, WIC, W-I-C, which serves half of all infants and more than a quarter of all all pregnant and postpartum people in the U.S. In 2009, there was a major revision to a federal nutrition program for low-income pregnant women and children. And it turns out that, according to UC San Francisco researchers, when you give poor people better food, they are less likely to have complications and their babies are more likely to be healthy. Um, They examined data for 3 million babies. They planned for variables and they had uh, one control group, three separate groups, I believe. So if the government would start investing in stuff like this, we would have lower maternal death rates. Pregnant women receiving WIC after the revisions where they got more fruits and veggies instead of juice uh, were less likely to get preeclampsia which is a really common one um, involving high blood pressure. I think even Kim Kardashian had preeclampsia and Mm -hmm. she's hella rich, Mm -hmm. you know, but she was fine. She had a lot of money. So she went to the hospital early. It was fine. Yeah. Um, This is like a giant duh. What do you think, Maria? It's a, it's a giant duh. Um, (laughs) And, and I got to see this sort of post 2009 change play out. Uh, just with people that I know really and absolutely and um and just talking to people in communities one of the things that happened around this time is that um WIC allowed people to shop in a different place so like what right because you used to not be able to like take your um your WIC money to uh like a co-op Mm. right Mm -hmm. so like to get like the organic freshest produce which in a lot of places you Mm -hmm. can't really get in a regular grocery store Mm -hmm. um and uh and then they so wick will pay for sort of like 
the generic versions of the co-op food. Hmm. Um, So a lot of that changed where it was like, now you had a wider breadth of places where you could get your healthy food. Hmm. And so I definitely saw people taking advantage of that Mm -hmm. and really enjoying it. I mean, if you think about it, yes, if you give people money to get better food that's healthier for them and you encourage it. And there's so much information in the media now about what healthy food looks like, um, then it will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I just feel like this is um, a taxpayer investment, mm-hmm. a huge taxpayer investment in the future because health saves tons and tons and tons of money. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that WIC does sort of okay but could do better mm-hmm. is breastfeeding support because that's first nutrition and that saves tons and tons and tons of taxpayer money for people who want to breastfeed. This is an ignorant question because mm-hmm. it shows my privilege. Um, does WIC cover baby formula? Wick does cover baby. It does. Formula. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, good. Because those, uh, according to, I briefly worked in a grocery store. I remember being told that some of the most commonly stolen items from grocery stores are condoms, diapers, and baby formula. Absolutely. <laughs> Think about it. It's when you just, need it, you need it. You, you, you got to do it. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't use one, you're going to need the other. So. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, this is a an issue. This, this whole thing is about race. Mm-hmm. Right? Poverty. Yeah. Yeah. But... Poverty, but really a lot in this country is race race impacted by poverty. Yes. So ultimately feeding people good food, allowing them to choose good food means that we can start to dismantle systemic racist oppression. Mm -hmm. What is that? The, an an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes, absolutely. And I've talked to so many medical providers in like either an urgent care or just a primary care physician, but a lot of urgent care and a lot of EMTs that I have (laughs) spoken to said so much of our calls would be prevented or would never happen if people had preventative care. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so moving on, more kids stuff. Did you know that 13 states in this country have no minimum age requirement for weddings, for marriage, for marriage to an adult? Uh, I saw an article, states across the country take action to save child brides. Um, and it starts out introducing a Republican state representative who says that they always leaned toward limited government involvement, no matter the issue. But in recent years, uh, this is Rep. Jesse Topper, heard from former child brides and advocacy groups that child marriage is a common practice in the U.S. and in his home state. Uh, So this is how Republicans and Democrats both are getting involved trying to set age limits for marriage or to require some kind of guardian to sign. This is a tricky issue because, I mean, I have friends who are runaways, Um, there's definitely people who get married for, used to be the tax benefit. I don't know if that's still the case. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is often a, an opportunity for a real dangerous power dynamic to occur. You're shaking your head. What do you think? I mean, I couldn't, you sent me this article ahead of time and I just, can't believe I didn't know this. Me this too. Still true. I just thought, how could this possibly still be true? And then you know what I thought about it, and I thought the thing that 
it's all about here for me mm-hmm. is that, and I say this as a queer married person, mm-hmm. that marriage is an oppressive institution. Absolutely. Because and oh even when you're choosing it, even when you know it, even when you, you know, are thinking about it. So when we then have children who enter quite unknowingly into, you know, what this institution really is, um, there's the whole, there's the whole factor of, you know, child trafficking, but Mm -hmm. that's a, yeah, but ultimately, you know, for everybody across the board, whether they're, you know, quote unquote being trafficked or not, there, there's this, there's this oppression so interestingly enough and i agree with you on that on someone who's been married twice because typically marriage is a transference of property and power to the husband you go in the husband's name especially the husband in this case tends to be the one that's way fucking older um in california there's no age floor for the minimum age but in texas you have to be 18 to be married i thought that was very interesting uh, does anyone remember that creepy actor Doug Hutchinson who was like 41 or 45 no he was 51 when he married a 16 year old Courtney Stodden this was about 10 or 15 years ago so he was in the Green Mile he was in what else was he in was he on Lost he was this actor but he was 50 years old when he married this teenager uh, they got divorced some years later it was gross oh google it oh it was such mm-hmm. a creepy relationship Um, But that was my first exposure. That was when I first found out that that was even possible. Um, Courtney Stodden is from Tacoma, Washington. I'm going to make a generalization. I assume that this was an opportunity for her to be uplifted out of Tacoma, Washington and to live in L.A. and get all the plastic surgery and fancy dresses and tans she ever wanted because that's what happened. Goals. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but of course they divorced and there's always a power discrepancy. So I think there's interesting stuff that comes up for consent because what about if you're a 16 year old and you and your 18 year old partner really, really want to get married? Um, you can still do that in a lot of places, but also why not just wait a couple of years? You know, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that this might be unpopular, but I think that the age for marriage should be over 21. Ooh, <laughs> that would be very unpopular. I'll go with so 18. <laughs> Why do you say that? Um, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm I saying just, it'd be wrong you know, to legislate if, if it. If we're but. saying you can't drink until you're 21, uh, I just, I don't even think a 21-year-old can make a good decision about marriage, having been married twice Ooh. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't, I don't think it's a- actually possible to know what you are getting into there absolutely not yeah there's no way um one last little news thing so of course of course of course uh when you can't go to a place to get an abortion you are going to go online and try to order the pills or whatever to to have an abortion Uh, USA Today article, some U.S. women are taking reproductive matters into their own hands. They're ordering abortion pills by mail. In Aid Access's first year of operation, 21,000 U.S. women reached out to the online organization launched in March 2018 that offers abortion pills internationally. Requests came from all over the country, especially states where abortion is tightly restricted. Uh, So after it was... More than a dozen states have either passed or tried to pass more restrictive abortion legislation, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, 
uh, and others move to ban abortion when a heartbeat is detected, which can be within six weeks of pregnancy. Georgia's bill allows exceptions for rape and incest. Alabama does not. Uh, there's a Plan C website, which interestingly enough, when I typed in looking, I typed in a abortion, I think American women abortion. This was like the third thing to come up. It was a sponsored ad. Mm. But it's a website geared to helping women understand abortion pills, said views on her site skyrocketed after the Alabama Senate bill passed in May. Um, what are abortion pills? So these were approved by the FDA in 2000. Do you know how to say this? Misoprostol, mifepristone. Misoprostol, uh-huh. The first stops the pregnancy's growth. The second empties the uterus. So mifepristone stops the growth. Misoprostol empties the uterus. That's what they give you to open your cervix when you're um, birthing. Got it. Mm -hmm. So the FDA said the combination of pills in the first trimester has a success rate of 95 to 99%. Abortion pills are different from birth control pills, which are a form of contraception. So (laughs) that's nice that they had to include that for people who, again, still don't know the difference. Um, I'd like to point out that abortion has actually been a form of birth control for thousands of years. uh, Because when people realize whether through rape or accident that they're pregnant and they look around and say, oh, shit, my tribe doesn't have or whatever. My community, my tribe, my my group doesn't have the food or the water or the resources available. It's going to endanger all of us if we add another life to this circle. Let's eliminate it before it becomes a problem. Purpley. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> That's why abortion has always existed. That's why I mean, animals will eat their young sometimes when they yep. know that they're going to starve. Yes. Nature is harsh. Uh, <laughs> that's what we'll call this episode. Nature is harsh. No, no, no. Uh, so Maria, we definitely recommend you. We want people to check out your website. Savvy, savvy parenting support.com. Can you say where you're located? Rarely I go to people anymore, but I do all of my work over the phone or zoom, um, audio recordings and emails. And all of my packages are, are like that really just because, um, I, teach you how to do for yourself rather than do something for you. I love that. John, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I love this. It was thrilling. This was great. Anybody, if you have thoughts or feedback, write pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com. Oh, and remember my my uh, my podcast. <gasps> Wash your mouth out with Madison Young. Mm-hmm. It is a radical feminist parenting podcast. Mm-hmm. And greatmomsex.com is Madison's website. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strangebedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillowtalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe.
Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.